So this morning, we are kicking off a new series today by talking about shifting from a lens of judgment to a lens of love in the ways that we view God, the ways we view others, and ourselves. And maybe this seems like an obvious task. Operating with judgment at the center of your life is going to be exhausting and probably harmful. The judgment to love shift seems self-explanatory, but I think we underestimate or we overestimate how easy it is to make that shift. We underestimate just how much our own lens, our own perspective has been shaped by judgment. There are no shortage of examples of how we've been formed by judgmental outlooks, how we've been formed by centering judgment in our lives. And to be fair, some amount of judgment is necessary for making it through life. We wouldn't make it very far making zero judgments. I'm convinced that this is how my toddler lives his life, making no judgments at all about what is safe or good or assessing any type of situation. He just goes for it. It's frightening. So we do need some judgments in order to function. I've been thinking of these as judgments with a lowercase j. But it becomes problematic when judgment with a capital J takes over, when judgment clouds your vision and becomes your primary lens. In religious legalism, this can be the ultimate judgment of where you're headed in an afterlife, fear tactics that kick in to keep you in line, believing that God's primary concern is judging you, so in turn, you must judge others and yourself. In self-help culture, which can be helpful, placing too much emphasis, though, on judgment can leave you trapped in a desire for perfectionism. And I will say, it is wonderful out here as a recovering perfectionist. Brené Brown calls it an aspiring good enoughist, and I really like that. Even reality TV shows, there's something crazy now, like almost 800 reality TV shows that have aired. Assessing someone's worth based on their appearance or performance or status becomes the main point, the main motivation. And then we start to assess how we would fit into the lineup, which is the funny part for me. I rarely bake, but I watch Great British Baking Show where people are judged on their baking and suddenly I've got all sorts of comments for how dry those scones look, how they didn't put their loaf in the proving drawer for enough time. These systems of ranking rarely lead us into meaningful relationships or experiences. Recentering our understandings of others, of God, and of ourselves can help us bridge the distance that judgment can create. And my guide in this process of shifting from judgment to love has been looking to Jesus, but I would encourage you today to put whatever loving presence you feel is helpful Put that in the center when taking on a more compassionate lens that can help offer direction and clarity. Today I thought we would walk through some anecdotal examples of shifting from judgment to love. And I'm really excited that my favorite guest ever in all of my time here is joining me today. He is someone who has seen my own progression from judgment to love unfold over and over again in different settings. And he's a great reminder that we do this really important work in the midst of community and relationship. So I'm a little biased. But if you want to give a warm welcome to my husband, Andy, who's going to come and hang out with us. 
You know, Andy used to co-host a basketball podcast. So I've been joking that I am bringing him out of retirement today (laughs) to be a part of this. But hi. Hello. Yeah, you don't want to listen to that podcast, by the way. It's (laughs) amateur hour. Um, But yeah, you you brought up scones. I just... can we bring scones to Brown Line on Sundays? That- I mean, those donuts. Round of applause for those donuts this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So, Andy, as we get started here, I am wondering if we could dive into some stories and talking about, in particular, experiencing God through a judgmental lens. Yeah, so uh, when I was in high school, uh, high school youth group growing up, uh, I lived into this notion that you're either in or you're out uh, when, it comes out, when it comes to living out your faith, um, that if you're living a particular lifestyle following this moral code, um, so you speak, right, moral code, that God will show you favor and that you're living out the life of, that God has intended for you. So. so for you, what do you feel like um, if God is at the head of this moral code-keeping way of understanding faith, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like this language of sinning, right, or doing bad uh, becomes further emphasized, um, that repentance puts you first before anything else uh, to be right with God. So that repentance and sin becomes the main focus here. Do you feel like this was messaging that you received pretty directly? Is there a story that comes to mind? Um, yeah. So when I was in high school, uh, there was a guy in my small group that smoked weed after school. And uh, after it all happened, he, he just was so devastated that it happened and was just like, I can't believe I did that. And, you know, I was so out of bounds for, for doing that. And it just isn't like me. And um, that he needed to receive some, some like, type of forgiveness uh, from the other guys in our small group that, like, he was looking for, like, some of this, like, I need to be welcomed back uh, into this group. Um, kind of like he was wandering, but... Now he needs to be found, kind of like in Luke chapter 15. And my question is, what made him feel the need to seek out our forgiveness? And, you know, like maybe because he felt like, you know, it was, if he was right with us, he was right with God. But I don't know. Yeah. And I think when we place God as judge above all else, when that becomes the primary characteristic of God, we have this system like what you're talking about that's formed. That's really a lot of control, um, which I think I felt in some ways in high school youth group too, actually. It's funny. I think those stories come to mind a lot when you're thinking about judgment because um, high school was a very judgy period of time. But in my youth group, at least, I didn't have this big picture fear of judgment with a capital J, um, but I had a lot of fear over my actions being good or being bad, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what you're getting at here. that when you are constantly trying to work yourself in to fit into a system that's built off judgment, things get really distanced and detached when it comes to a relationship, an actual relationship with God. Like this seems like he was trying to more so maintain being in good standing with you Mm -hmm. all and that that took away from the actual interaction with God, that God almost becomes detached. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my students this year, I work with college students, And one of my students put it this way. She said um, in a conversation, I don't know if I've ever had a relationship with God. I think I've just had a relationship with religion. And that has really stayed with me, her language there. 
that we can almost try and have a relationship with a system that is micromanaging our sin instead of being drawn into a relationship with a loving God where loving God is at the center instead of God as judge. Do you feel like viewing God um, through this lens of judgment trickled down into how you saw others and how you saw yourself? Yeah, like I feel like not only did like the, the God of judge, right, direct me to judge others, but it allowed me to judge myself. And, uh, you know, I talked about high school and high school small group, but this kind of led, this kind of fed into when I was in college. And um, when I was in college, I was so wrapped up into what was okay and what was not okay. And um, I thought so critically of how uh, others around me were living and deciding whether that was good or not. And, um, you know, even for myself, every decision or action that I made, I would ask myself, is this, is, you know, is this morally okay? <laughs> you know, like, should I be doing this or not? And uh, I was so wrapped up and it consumed, uh, consumed my thoughts. And, um, you know, this didn't really, this didn't feel freeing. You know, it, it, it felt like I was trying to I was trying so hard to bind things together that um, to control certain narratives. I was living into the system of religion rather than the, the free will of God that gives us this openness, this love, um, forgiveness, acceptance, um, you know, living, living outside of the box rather than trying to find ways to stay in the box. Um, so kind of posing this question like, can we frame it like, how can I learn from others and what makes us different rather than this framework of how do you live like me, you know? Yeah, there's a few things here um, that I want to highlight. And the first is that when we're trying to fit into this, is it good or bad? It becomes very behavior-based, very decision-by-decision-based. Um, but instead, when we move beyond that, when we center love in all of this, the assessments that we're making, which we should be making, we should be looking at our decisions and saying, is this harming other people? Is it harming myself? Is it drawing me closer to a source of meaning or is it actually pushing me away from community? All of these assessments you're talking about, I do think they're important, but they are a lot different when they're coming from an open space of love that really looks at our whole progression, our whole selves, instead of a space of judgment where it's constantly decision by decision based. I think of the, the show, the, um, the Good Place. I don't know if anyone has seen that one. It's a really good one. Um, and that becomes, it's a whole ranking system. It's moment by moment looking at your life and saying how many po good points was this? How much of a deduction was this if we did something bad? And um, I won't spoil it. I won't say any more about that show because it's great. But I will say that being able to look at your whole full life is so much more rewarding than measuring your life decision by decision by decision and trying to see if you fit into the good category or the bad category. And I think when we try to do this with other people, so that was, that's with ourselves, but when we do this with other people too, suddenly we have this framework for what it means to be Christ-like which I think tends to just be a louder version of our own opinions. <laughs> like we have ideas of how other people should be acting and then we label it as being Christ-like. Anne Lamott has this really great quote where she says, you know you've made God in your own image when he hates everyone you do. <laughs> I think about that quote all the time. But this really is an act of when we project judgment on God, when we say God's primary role is judge, then we can justify looking at, through a lens of judgment, at everyone around us and at ourselves. 
But I wonder here if we can move away from having judgment as the primary lens and instead talk about a lens of love being primary. Could you tell us a story of a time that you experienced God through a lens of love? Yeah, so um, Vince, uh, Vince guides me in a manual prayer. Uh, well, he guides other people, but last, this past March he guided me. Um, and by the way, shameless plug, uh, a manual prayer. Uh, we have a group that uh, meets on Zoom once a month. Um, a little tricky right now, uh, given Kezia's situation, but um, yeah, uh, it's a, gr- a small group of uh, other you know people from Brownline that get together over Zoom, and uh, we pray, and uh, someone uh, guides the, the, the prayer, um, and so anyways, shameless plug there, but um, so a manual prayer, for those who may not know, uh, it is a guided prayer exercise that allows you to find a particular memory. Um, And when we do it, we try and find a a positive, uh, life-giving memory, um, so that way you can then wrestle and process with God through through prayer and that imagery. Um, So going into that prayer that Vince led me through last March, um, I couldn't really, you know, think of a positive memory, to be honest. I was, um, you know, I was trying to, I was thinking like, oh, I can use the same memory I used like a year ago when I did this, and, you know, I was kind of blanking, but... um, you know, in the initial stages of, like, opening prayer, um, my son Oliver came to mind. Um, and the, the positive uh, memory that I used was, um, you know, when I, and when I came, you know, home from work one day, um, you know, carrying a lot of stress, I'm, I'm, you know, some anxiety, some maybe some frustration. I'm just feeling really heavy, right? And then, you know, I, I walk up the steps into our apartment, and I, on the other side of the wall, on the other side of the door, I hear this anticipation, this like little like baby giggle, and I'm like, oh, I, I, yeah, I, he's in the living room, you know, Ali's, Ali's near me, and um, as I open up the door, the keys turn, and I open up the door, and uh, there he is, smiling, and he's like frozen, and he's, and he, da, 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 and he comes running towards me and gives me a hug, um, and so positive, right? Like, after a long day carrying a lot, uh, the fact, you know, Ali comes in and embraces me, I mean, everything kind of goes out the window, right? Um, and so, for me, it's been a season of longing for change. Um, for me, like, a, trying to find a new job, a new place of living, uh, many of the big life things that adults carry. Um, inter- interview after interview, getting denied, uh, it was easy for me to cast blame on myself, um, not feeling good enough, worthy, smart enough, not personable enough. Um, I was wrestling with the question, you know, what is, what is wrong with me? You know, like, and it, this casting blame, right? Um, but through this prayer exercise, um, this image of Oliver rushing to me and, and, and greeting me at the front door in this anticipation of receiving his love, I'm reminded um, how God views me every day, like just no judgment, no blame. Um, Ali doesn't know the life stresses that I carry, um, but, he, you know, he doesn't care, right? Um, he's just glad I'm home, and, and then it hit me, you know, like God uh, does care about what I'm struggling, but uh, improving my worth isn't, uh, you know, isn't wrapped up in it. I love that, and it's so fun to be on the other side of things, hearing him, like, wait right at the door and run over to see you coming home. Yeah. Um, 
just that image. And I, what I love most about this is when we start to do this work of shifting from judgment being primary to love being primary, we get an up-close view of God, this embrace, this joy. And it's not a moment-by-moment what went wrong, what went right, what was good, what was bad, but it's an embrace of all that you are, all that you're carrying, all that you're going through. And as we're talking, um, preparing for today, a meditation exercise that I had done recently also came to mind, actually, when I think of an example of seeing God through a lens of love. I was wrapping up a therapy session, and my therapist had me do this exercise. It's a mindfulness exercise where you bring to mind some type of figure in your life It can be a person, it could be a fictional character, it could be some idea. Um, It's very abstract, but you imagine this figure bringing you comfort and peace and sitting with you. And I tried to pick um, a person in my life or a fictional character that felt meaningful, but all I could come up with was this image of a bear. And it had to have been way more teddy bear, like those giant teddy bears, than actual bear, because I'd be very terrified if an actual bear was sitting next to me. But this big stuffed animal bear that was sitting with me, that still carried that fierce protection of a mother bear, and that warmth and comfort of a living thing, the warm fur, being embraced, feeling fiercely protected, I imagined this bear holding me and keeping me comforted and safe. And even though this was in a therapy session and it was a mindfulness exercise, it felt a whole lot like prayer, a whole lot like a depiction of God. And so when we get to see this up-closeness, we see God as loving, God as we've used the language before of a most moved mover, a God that's concerned with what's going on in our lives This is a sustaining picture of God, far more than a rule keeper or distant master. But this is a God that becomes involved in just the everydayness of life. And so we talked about before when we have God as judge, it trickles down into how we see others and we see ourselves. Do you feel like seeing God through a lens of love trickled down into how you viewed others and viewed yourself? Yeah, um, so kind of going back again, down memory lane. I feel like I'm doing that a lot in this <laughs> message, but uh, when I was in college, I led a group of students down to Lower Wacker Drive, uh, downtown Chicago, and um, we would be in relationship with men and women experiencing homelessness. Um, and the idea was we would grab food from our school's dining hall, and uh, we would drive down with the students and uh, set up a table and, and be in conversation with everyone sharing a meal. Um, you know, when leading this ministry, the posture Uh, of myself and other North Park students um, was incredibly important. Um, In these type of settings, it's super easy to fall into this have versus have nots uh, comparison game. Um, And even just, yeah, we're in college, like we're receiving education, like there's so much privilege in that, right? Um, But this experience molded me into seeing everyone in the same, you know, playing field, right? Um, The men and women, who we would visit would, you know, dish themselves up the food. Uh, we wouldn't be standing behind dishing, you know, for them. They're kind of exemplify some like, hierarchy in that, right? In that, in that action, uh, you know, we would eat with them. Uh, this wasn't like, you know, you're eating and we aren't type of thing. Um, it was very just like we really wanted to be mindful of the space that we were sharing with them, right? Um, and so for me, this you know, was a, a weekly rhythm of meeting together. So 
um, you know, we were, um, it was like an expected place of community where everyone was involved. Um, I think this whole idea of, of, of doing this wasn't like a pat yourself on the back for doing this. I mean, maybe that was high school Andy's version of it, but, you know, to me it was a lifestyle. It was being in relationship with people um, and that uh, learning from stories, sharing our differences. Um, you know, we, aren't we trying to live through this messy world together, you know? Like, it, it didn't feel like... Um, yeah, like you could just bring yourself, bring fully who you are, and let's just connect. Um, and so uh, this ministry for me became a way of uh, life, not just being once a week, but um, like how do we detach ourselves from this evangelical lens that um, to serve others and doing good brings us into this I'm closer with God mentality. Yeah, it almost sets up this equation that certain types of actions or service equal closeness with God that you have to earn that. But I love that this shift here, it's going from seeing people fitting into some type of hierarchy and placing yourself probably along the top with Jesus, but instead of that, entering into the pain and the beauty of others' stories, that when compassion trickles down into how we view ourselves and others, we allow both others and ourselves to be human, to be fully human. This intertwining of compassion and self-compassion takes place. And for some of us, this may feel like a natural connection, that if I can imagine a God who is loving toward me, toward humanity, then I can imagine a God who encourages me to love myself. For some of us, that gap may feel wider. Like, yes, I can imagine a God that loves people, and it's hard to love myself. And I want to honor that, too. But there are a few pieces of scripture that come to mind as we're talking this morning um, from the process of shifting from judgment to love. And the first one is that when Jesus explains um, to people, they're asking him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus explains that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself is the ultimate commandment, the biggest deal. When we actually filter or view things through a lens of love, Any rule-keeping that you're talking about or trying to do good in the world isn't about personal gain. It's not about fitting into a judgment situation where the results are favorable. Instead, it's about creating more compassionate communities. It's about bringing together, not dividing. That we can get caught up in moral codes that don't actually bring us to be more loving, but that's not the point that we have this ultimate filter, ultimate lens of knowing that loving God, self, and neighbor is what is most important. Mm -hmm. And the other place my mind goes with this pattern, it's actually a pattern that comes up throughout the New Testament, and Paul writes about it too, of moving from an old self to a new self, which may seem to fit in line with what we're talking about today. Put behind what is worldly for the sake of what is godly is sometimes the language used, Get rid of this laundry list of awful behaviors and take up things like forgiveness and love. All good things. But it's even for even this to turn into a judgment model. Take off your old self because that is sinful and bad. And then we judge our past selves and anyone's life who looks more like a before list than an after list. But instead, can we reframe this not as proof that we are messing up, not as another source of judgment for ourselves and for others, but rather can we view this as a motivation toward what is good, 
instead of a condemnation of personal shortcoming. So one example here, just to give you something concrete to go off of, in Colossians 3, it says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. And I love this because it's a reminder that this is communal work. We get so hyper-individualized, but this work is communal. Paul is writing to a group of people with hope and some instructions. This is restorative work because when we are together, we can help each other see what we may be miss what the other person may be missing. That this it becomes an encouragement toward what is good and healing and hopeful, what is restorative about community, not a reminder of all the ways that we are individually falling short. And so as we highlight this work of community, Andy, I'm wondering for you if there's an example that you have of being formed by a community that's not centered on judgment, but centered on love. Yeah. Um I think, yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, sometimes I think for me to be in a good place is doing something that I really like to do, like, which is play basketball, um, though I don't really get to do it as much as I want because of Oliver, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe on his, maybe on his little Tykes basketball hoop where I can just dominate him, you know, just block his shot every time, no. Um, you know, being, being involved in things with no particular outcome um, or relevance, but forming a community where people just feel accepted as they are, just bringing themselves. Um, so for me, like playing basketball, um, we, I used to play at Winnetka Covenant up in um, the suburbs on Tuesday nights for a number of years, and that shut down because of COVID, and now uh, Teal is uh, organizing stuff at Ravenswood down the street from here. Um, but just like showing up and playing basketball with a bunch of guys that I don't really know too well, but um, there's like no like outcome. Just but but you're just bringing yourself and your and there's just like this acceptance and 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 grace and I don't know just like and we're just playing basketball. We're doing something that we're all sharing a common thing together. Um, so I would use that as an example. And then I think uh, the other thing. Um, Totally different, but kind of going back to what I was talking about, a manual prayer, I think, being led in prayer for an hour, um, you kind of forget that there's like four other people on the Zoom call that are just kind of praying alongside with you and, and taking notes and observing. And, um, you know, when we first did a manual prayer, I'm like, why are there other people on the call? Like, this should just be between me, the, guide, the person guiding the prayer, and then, you know, and God, right? But uh, you know, after kind of experiencing this through the small group uh, framework of it, um, you know, you feel very seen and loved. And there was uh, one participant that like took notes for me. And now I have like a Google Doc of like kind of what I processed for an hour and I can kind of see things on paper. And it's like, yeah, I think just being in a space, I guess what I'm saying at is being in, being in a space where there's vulnerability and being open and not feeling like you have to come off a certain way just kind of unifies the moment in the space. And uh, yeah, so I want to kind of just show love to 
you know, manual prayer and, and kind of what it's brought me uh, during this season. Yeah. I love that with both of these, it's not a transaction or formula-based thing, um, that you're not trying to prove yourself or get a particular outcome, but it's more so about presence. And I think that that's really what happens when we shift from God is judged to God as the ultimate source and example of love, mm. is that it becomes not about trying to prove yourself, trying to prove your worth, um, or be judged and have some pretty extreme consequences. It's instead recognizing that there is a God who is present with you, regardless of how your current circumstances are falling on this good or bad spectrum of things. And here, um, I want to end in this place of community, too, of being a community that centers love, not a community that centers judgment. We've used the model before, and we've got some signage around that I think has it on there, too, of talking about a bounded set versus a centered set community. And a bounded set community becomes pretty strictly uh, set in its rules, this moral code that you're talking about here, and it becomes about keeping that in place. And Jesus is at the center. So in order to be a part of the community, you have to join in with the ones who are setting the expectation for how to behave, how to act, what to think, what to believe, what theology to hold that you have to be inside of things or you're out or you're not a part of the community or you're not a part of the kingdom of God. Mm. But instead of that bounded set model, we have this idea of a centered set model that wherever you are and whatever you are experiencing in your full range of beliefs and theology and ideas, you can remain centered on the love of Christ, that you can point your life toward Jesus, toward restorative communities, toward an embrace of what is good, what is holy, from wherever you are at. And it's not about trying to prove yourself of being in or out. Instead, it's about presence. And instead, it's about finding your own relationship with a loving God. And so one thing I want to mention with this bounded set or centered set idea is that sometimes when we are looking at examples of bounded set communities, that maybe feel particularly judgmental, is what we would label them as, we can almost swing the other direction and create a new community mm. that is doing all the things that the communities we are critiquing are doing. That we have our own system of rules and moral codes in keeping people in or out. So how do we actually be a centered set community? Mm. There are three, three things I wanna suggest, and I'll leave you with some alliteration because love some alliteration to help remember things. How do we actually remain centered on love, whether it's individually, whether it's our view of God, our view of one another? The first is extending grace, being able to humanize others, humanize yourself, living in a gracious space that allows people to be messy humans and that you give yourself to be a messy, you give yourself permission to be a messy human as well. Extending grace and then embracing process. That doing this work is not an invitation to try and sort people or sort yourself into a before or after list. Recognizing that you will often be taking up lenses of judgment and lenses of love all at the same time. Embracing the process there. And the last one would be to examine your lens. To build in some type of process to um, slow down, take a moment, 
and try and identify what you are looking at life through. What filter do you have on? What are you highlighting in the people around you and your understanding of God? How are you looking at yourself? Extending grace, embracing process, and examine our lens. Do you have any closing thoughts or final things here that you want to add in? Nah, preach. Preach, Haley. <laughs> I got nothing. I'm just grateful. Andy sometimes will get voluntold for things because he's just wonderful and jumps into things really wholeheartedly. Yeah. But in this particular, I was like, you can absolutely say no. So no, I'm really not, grateful. No, she, she threw me in a corner and she's like, you're, you're talking this Sunday. You know, you're helping no. me. No. I'm really grateful that you said yes, though, no. because I think yeah. that your story is surrounding Emmanuel prayer and seeing your own progression. It's a great reminder of being able to do this um, in community with one another, and that we've seen this progress throughout our relationship too. Absolutely. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm. Well, to close our um, portion of the service here, I'm going to offer a meditation for us to walk through together, a prayer. Um, so if you want to get yourself comfortable, find a comfy way of sitting right now. Maybe it's putting your feet down so you can feel grounded in the floor. So this is an exercise that we've done before. Um, it's called the loving kindness meditation. This is a prayer exercise that walks you through extending love toward yourself, toward someone you deeply care about and feel loved by, toward someone that brings up negativity for you, someone you may have animosity or tension with. And then we'll close with showing love toward a community that you are a part of because this felt fitting for today. So if you would take a moment here to close your eyes, if that helps you to focus, to get into a comfortable position, and to just notice your breathing. Take a few deep breaths, noticing the way that your belly fills up with air. Now I want you to think of yourself. For some of us, it may be easy to extend grace and self-compassion. For others right now, that may feel like a harder task. But as best as you're able, pray words now of love and kindness over yourself. And we'll offer these words. May I feel loved. May I feel safe. And may I feel comforted in my struggles. Now you can turn yourself, um, your attention to someone in your life that you feel deeply cared by. 
someone who knows you and sees you, someone you think of fondly, someone that is easy to love. And as you bring them to mind, pray words of love and kindness for them now. will offer these words. May you feel loved. May you feel safe. And may you feel comforted in your struggles. Now you can bring to mind someone you have a lot of tension with or have felt hurt by. Maybe someone who disrupts peace in your life or someone you have a difficult past with. As best as you can, pray words of love and kindness for them now. And we'll offer these words. May you feel loved. May you feel safe. May you feel comforted in your struggles. And now, finally, I'd like for you to bring to mind a community that you are a part of, a community centered on love. Maybe this is family or chosen family, a group of friends, a single relationship. community that has all of the complexities of being human with a group of humans. And pray words of love and kindness for this community now. And we'll offer up these words one last time. May we feel loved. May we feel safe. And may we feel comforted in our struggles. We'll end with a couple deep breaths. Amen.